Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We'd like to welcome you all to today's show. I'm Joseph Bonner, the host of Court Magazine. You may also be listening to this podcast on Law and Justice podcast. Welcome to the show. Today we have a very interesting and yet very disturbing case that we'd like to bring to your attention. I have with me um, Dr. Ariel King, and she's here to talk to us more about this subject that, in my personal opinion, as it results um, from just understanding a little bit more about this particular case, is that legally and ethically, um, the ball has been dropped in so many instances with this particular case, and we're hoping that this show will help bring to light a very, very pressing, um, urgent need to find a young girl and to make sure that she is alive, to make sure that she is safe, and hopefully to reunite her with her mother. And without further ado, let's go ahead and welcome Dr. Ariel King to the show. Dr. King, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Thank you so much, Mr. Bonner. Thank you for having me on this show, and it's an absolute honor to be here today. And uh, I really appreciate the, the platform <clears throat> to speak about issues that not just affect most likely my family, but uh, many other families um, who don't have such a platform to, to speak about these issues and also to have their voices heard. Well, we thank you so much for taking the time to be on today's show. And so let's kind of jump right into the situation that you are facing right now with your daughter. Now, kind of just to give the audience just a general understanding of the situation with your daughter. Now, your daughter, um, you believe is being trafficked. Um, you believe that she's a victim not only of, of, of human trafficking, but also of sexual assault um, instigated by her father. These are things that you believe um, have been happening since she was just a young girl. And at this point, she would be 17 now. And um, unfortunately, despite your very best efforts and you reaching out to legal entities, government offices, and things of that nature, it appears that this case, although even brought to the United Nations, has unfortunately been swept under the rug. And there have been no consequences, no true investigations that have yielded any peaceable results for the victim, your daughter, in this particular case. So can you kind of bring us up to speed? Tell us a little bit about um, what situation you, you believe your daughter is in and what legal remedies you have engaged in to try to get her help, to get her freedom, but yet how those efforts were met with obstacles and opposition from day one. Can you uh, tell us a little more about the situation, please? Yes, sure. My oldest daughter, um, Ariana Leilani Margarita Alexandra King Pfeiffer, is a U.S. and German citizen, and uh, her father is a, a German citizen living in the United States. Um, I, I think the the way to start this is to tell you, you know, first why is her situation so different from so many other children, and maybe not that many, but 
especially in Washington, D.C., is her father uh, works for um, the Veterans Administration Hospital. Uh, that's that what, what he's assigned for, but he's been working with the German government since he was about 18, 19 years old when he had to do mandatory military service. And um, at this point is likely working between the German government and the United States government. And we're pretty and what sure is about his name? For the record. Pardon? What is his name? His name is Michael Herbert Pfeiffer. Okay. And uh, he's working with the Veterans Administration Hospital in the Department of Neurology. Now, is, he, is, he, a, now, is he a doctor? That should be another show because he does have a PhD, but this is, he doesn't have an MD, but he is working as an MD. And we have proof of this and we've brought this to the medical board, but nobody seems to be very concerned with the fact that he's not really a medical doctor and he only has a PhD, but he's working as a medical doctor. So this is, this is one of those other things that have been very That's difficult. That's illegal. Well, yes. Um, and we've brought it to the attention. We brought it with various documents. We've brought it to the Virginia Medical Board. Um, Washington DC though was very smart. When he went for his medical license, they asked him to please tell them and give them documentation that he finished medical school. For 18 months, he wasn't able to do that. He wasn't able to show them that he completed medical school. This is when uh, Mayor Fenty was uh, the mayor there. So they never really gave him a medical license. But what he did is he went to Virginia, uh, even though he graduated from Georgetown uh, Medical with a residency in neurology. Uh, he went to Virginia and told the Virginia people that he was getting a second license and that he already had a DC license. So the state of Virginia actually gave him a license. And that's the only license he has because Washington DC refused to give him a license because he couldn't prove that he actually attended medical school. And he couldn't prove it because he didn't attend medical school. He was at the medical college of, he, he was taking physiology. So, so, so in other words, so in other words, he's, he's working illegally as a medical doctor when he's not a medical doctor. Got it, okay. Let's, um, let's move on. So tell us a little bit about the situation with your daughter and him. Now, obviously that's, that's her father. Right, that's her suspect, father. But you suspect that her father has been trafficking her for some time now. And you have sought <clears throat> legal remedies, but have been blocked at each turn. Can you tell us about that? Yes, yes. So I, I met her father in London and we went to the United States for him to do some medical training when I thought he was a physician. And um, once he finished his medical training, he had decided, which many people do, which is okay that he wanted to move on, <clears throat> which was a surprise for me, but that was okay for me. Uh, when that happened, um, my daughter was four years old, going on five years old. And um, we, um, we decided that, okay, we're going to make this amenable. We're going to allow her and uh, us to, to raise her together and so on and so forth. And um, I lost our housing. I mean, at that time I wasn't working, even though I'm a doctor myself, I was raising my daughter and, and helping uh, my husband to finish his medical education. And we lost our housing, which means we literally were homeless, <clears throat> excuse me. And uh, during that time, I moved from Maryland um, to temporary housing in Virginia. 
uh, which was an apartment. We moved from a house to an apartment in Virginia. And um, he had decided to move to the current apartment that they're now still living in, in Washington, DC. It's a one bedroom student apartment that they still live in to this day. And uh, when I moved to Virginia, even though it was, I think within two weeks, I, he petitioned for custody of our child. Uh, he didn't petition for divorce because he, he couldn't get divorced because there was no jurisdiction for divorce because I was only in Virginia for two weeks. Um, but for however he did it, he was able to find a judge who has been herself taken off the bench because of uh, actions that were not um, correct, let's just say that. And he was able to get from this judge a uh, custody order that allowed him to have my our daughter uh, stay with him overnight, I think five days a week when she's never slept with him overnight. And that's when all of this started is when um, she would have to go to the apartment overnight at five years old uh, because he received this order from a judge in Virginia who uh, just gave him an order right away. Uh, we never had a trial. We, I was never able to answer the, the complaint. Um, he, she literally wrote an order that day basically saying that he could have her with him five days a week. And so, so, what, so, what, so what made you believe that she was being trafficked by her father? Right. Well, I, won't say tra- I mean, it took a while because you have to understand as a mother or even a father, you just don't believe this stuff. You, like you hear about it in the newspapers, but you can't believe it's happening to you. So the first thing that told me it was happening is that my daughter started to speak up about it. She started to have nightmares and she would say, Papa's doing bad touch. You know, there's a time that you teach children good touch and bad touch. Oh, you don't want me to hug you. That's okay. You know, there's an education that you do with children. And she would literally say, you know, Papa wants me to sleep in a big bed and he does bad touch. And I couldn't understand what that meant. And um, so um, I, I, I at the time also was dealing with I can intercede for a second. She told you that and you didn't understand what she meant by that? No, well, bad touch can be, when we say bad touch, bad touch is any touch that doesn't feel okay. So with time, I can say I understood, but please understand this is in the very beginning. Okay. This is in the very beginning. And then as the years go over, we have other things. And um, so with more and more time, you start to realize once she was actually diagnosed with uh, vaginal herpes and herpes in her mouth and herpes in her groin that they said looked like sexual transmitted herpes. We went to the child protection in Washington, DC. Uh, she was supposed to get an interview. Um, supposedly they lost all those tapes. There's just a lot of corruption going on. How so, long, how, I can ask this question and I have to ask these questions, Dr. King. Yes. So how long had it been since the time that she said, you know, Papa's doing bad touch to the time that where she actually had contracted a sexually transmitted disease? How, how long had transpired? Um, we're talking about all of this happened within the same, I would say not even less than a year. Uh, okay. I would say the same six months or so. But what happened because he and I were separated, uh, people look at this as a quote unquote, a custody issue. But for me, it's never been about custody because he is her father and I am her mother. Um, nothing changes that. Um, but people look at it and say that sometimes women say that these things are happening because somehow we want to game the system. Uh, but I don't know about that, but that wasn't the case for me. And I don't think that most women do that because it's very embarrassing to actually say 
um, that somehow this has happened because this happens on your watch. I'm her mother. It's happened on my watch. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't make anybody look good. That's true. Right, yeah. right, exactly. So there's no reason to say that. But also I went to a psychologist. I gave him all the documents. I gave her all the tapes that we had. And um, this person said to me, we, I have very deep concerns that your daughter has been the victim of long-term sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. I then went to the Washington DC police with this. Um, they didn't do much. We went to Child Protective Services. Uh, they also didn't do much. Um, and um, even though she was having physical, you know, we, we could see some physical, like like herpes in the mouth and groin, sexually transmitted is definite. When I went to the hospital to actually get the, the results, um, he was also working in Georgetown Hospital, by the way, at, at the time doing a neurology residency they kept saying, we don't know what's wrong, but we can't seem to get these records. They're just not coming up. They're just not coming up. And uh, we thought that it was quite bizarre. So whenever we would try to get proof of what was happening, there was always a blockage in the way, you know? Um, And this has been this way now for many years. There's always a blockage. There's always people seem to be um, helping the, the truth not to come out. Right, so bring me bring me up to speed because I know that you have brought this case to multiple individuals. You, t- you took this case to the German courts, obviously, because she's a citizen of the German courts. Right. Can you tell us, and, and you did this when she was what? When did you start to prosecute with the German court? Well, I tried to get a divorce from her father. Uh, Michael. Not the divorce part, just specifically, right. specifically dealing with her. Right. Well, in Germany, you, you can't, they didn't allow me to bring her. I had to bring us as a family. I don't know. So the German law says you must go as a mother, father, child, or children. So okay. you can't really bring it directly to the German court without without that. Okay. Um, so, so when did you do that? Right. I I can look in the dates. Um, I'm very bad with dates, so please forgive so me. Just, I just want a general idea. She was um, she was about eight years old when we brought it to the German courts, and we brought it to the German prosecutor. And the prosecutor, just like in America, was going to prosecute him for um, sexual misbrauch von Kindern. And that means uh, sexual abuse against children. Um, in Germany, they don't believe that you just do one child. They believe that if you, could, if you are doing one child, then you're doing more than one child. So the but, case- And before I, before I say anything about the German courts right now, I do want to ask you this question. Did, and didn't you recently, like, and, like you did this when she was eight years old. She's now 17. Didn't you just recently get a letter from the German courts? Yes, I've been involved with the German courts now um, for my divorce and also for the custody for just talking to, I mean, just for everything now for the last uh, eight years. Yeah, yeah. And you just went, and, and what, it, and, and if you could just give me this, and here's the issue that I have with it, because they, 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 they know what's been happening because you've been reporting it. They know yes. what the accusations are at the very least. And they, yes. they, they know. You just got a letter recently. And what was the letter stating? If you could just. Yes, it was the High Court of Bamberg, which is the highest court mm-hmm. within um, mm-hmm. Bavaria, which is where you have Munich and so on and so forth, the family yeah, right. from Bidoid. Mm-hmm. And basically, it basically said, oh, yes, yeah, she does have the right to contact and, and have contact with you. And you do have the right to have contact with her, which is the most bizarre thing in the world because to have to fight for that. But even more importantly, they asked that she have a social worker speak with her and her father refused her father wouldn't even let her speak to a social worker so wait a minute now so she's 17 years time out she's 17 years old okay 
And she's about to be 18 pretty soon. Right. And you mean to tell me they sent you this crazy letter. And I'm going to be very honest with you right now. Okay. They sent you this crazy letter talking about, oh, she can contact you. Are you kidding me? You started this process when she was eight years old. She is now 17. We know she can talk to you now. She's about to be 18. How dare you as a court system? Right. How the, the, dare you as a court system send out this bogus well, that, that took three years, funky letter when you have been working and fighting for this since this girl has been eight years old? I am unimpressed. Actually, five. five right. Six, there you go. I'm unimpressed by the German court's lack of empathy, lack of concern for this child, and they ought to be ashamed of themselves to even send you such an atrocious letter now that this girl is 17, about to be 18. We know she can talk to you now. How dare they? Yeah, it's... um. It's difficult, but I have to say, honestly, the U.S. courts have not been much better. And the only Speaking, court I hear, her, I, this is this is your opportunity to tell us what's going on. Yes. So, the only uh, court that helped her is when she was five years old. And one of the judges I thought was pretty amazing. She she had she and I had the privilege of going to the judge. What I didn't say is that also um, I was going to counseling at the time that I had separated uh, from her dad. And the counselor said to me, you're in the wrong place. You need to be under the abused persons program. And I was like, well, what's that? Because I didn't recognize myself to be a woman um, that was in an abusive situation. Believe it or not, I literally didn't recognize that about myself and about what was happening because it was so crazy and it seemed so, I won't say normal, but it's been happening in the control. He did the same kind of controlling things against me, you know, um, uh, was if not violent, um, very emotionally controlling, always tried to separate me from my family. Uh, I met him in Europe, actually. We weren't even supposed to come back to, to America. So I was in the abused persons program and that's the people that finally helped us. And uh, there was a point where they did this assessment on me and they asked me questions. You know, I think there's 20 questions. And when I finished the questions, they said to me, um, you need to be highly vigilant because your life is in danger. And there was one question I didn't answer because I didn't know. And the question was, does he have a firearm? And I said, I don't know. I don't think so. So I'll say no. But every other question was a positive. And they said that they were afraid for my life. They were afraid that this man was going to take my life. Right. So- and and this let this be a disclaimer on this show. If anything happens to Dr. Ariel King, Michael, what's his name? Herbert Pfeiffer did it. Or paid somebody to do it. That's what he does best. That means he did it. If, if it's done, he did it. You can quote me on it. Or even my daughter. My daughter said she wish he would Facebook. try to send somebody. I wish he would try to send somebody to come out to you. We not even done with this case. We, I, I'm telling you right now, we just getting started. Best in, best, bet and believe. All right. I wish, oh, I wish he would. All right, now let's go back on. I have another question. Oh, Dr. King's like, no, I don't. Look at that. Look at Dr. King. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. King is like, dang, girl, you crazy. Listen, you got to be a little crazy. Going no, it's, crazy it's, right I, now. Think, I think the passion is there and I have the passion, but I always have to try to be careful that people, you know, because it's like, oh, you know, you're, you're a crazy woman. It's like, no, I'm not crazy. This no, is no, crazy. no, 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 no. You can call me crazy. You can call me crazy because it's absolutely crazy and ridiculous that this man has been able to get away with all this for so long and the oh. courts have done nothing to help. That's what's crazy. And, well, but, and the police and the child protection. She's in a one bedroom walk-up apartment, 500 square foot. She's been there, living there since she was five years old. 
in a one bedroom apartment. He's a physician. Now we can break down a couple of things. Now here's what I'd like you to do, Dr. King, is I have a question for you and I want you to break this down because I think it's important that people understand this part of the case. Um, Cause we're not talking about, you know, just this one incident that we're, that we're talking about. We're talking about some other things here. Now this, your, your daughter's case actually went to the United Nations. Now this is why I want you guys to understand here, okay? The United Nations would not have picked up this case if there was not credibility and validity mm -hmm. to everything that Dr. Ariel King is saying. They picked up that case because everything that she's saying can be verified and validified. Okay, first, first and foremost, let's just get that out, out, out the door. Now, number two, Dr. King, when your daughter's case was brought to the United Nations, tell me what happened. Well, that was very interesting. It was the, there was an organization called Innocence in Danger with the President Hamaya Silie and uh, at the time, um, and also um, Zoo Gutenberg. Zoo Gutenberg is married to Zoo Gutenberg of the Gutenberg Bible. That's important because they're, they're royalty. They're now in the United States of America. And he was going to be the next president of Germany. So she was working in this, this organization called Innocence in Danger, which has to do with children being trafficked and uh, being used for film and so on and so forth. And trafficked is a strange, let's just say children being sexually used and abused. I think that that's more poignant. Um, and um, so they took her case and then they brought it to the United Nations and they went to the uh, person who's dealing with um, um, I think it's the protocol on child pornography and child uh, child prostitution, child pornography, and something like this. And it was the first case brought uh, to the U.S. saying that this was the case. Well, once her name is Dr. Manjit, and not Dr. Manjit is still in the U.N. system doing something else, but she at the time was the director for this, and she was the rapporteur, the person who's responsible for this. She went to the U.S. government and the U.S. government said, oh, well, thank you. It's really good to look at this. Let's talk about it. But why don't we invite you to the United States first so you can see what we do here in the U.S.? And she said, oh, OK, I'd love to have the invitation. So she was invited to America. She was in Washington, D.C. She was in California. Um, she looked at the United States system in general. And I thought during that time she would talk about my daughter's case. and. Um, I, I wasn't given the information of what happened. Now, once that's done, you have to wait for it to be published. And so she wasn't allowed to tell me. Uh, nobody really spoke to me. So the innocence and danger put in the case, nobody spoke to me as her mother. I waited for it to be published. I then found out that, and usually it's published, it goes to the Human Rights Council in Geneva and it's published in six languages. Well, strangely enough, this was only published in English they had decided to wait a year and actually present it in New York at the United Nations General Assembly rather than in Geneva, which is quite unusual. Yeah, and yeah. they decided to do that with um, one of the rapporteurs on violence against children. So instead of it being that year, it was the second year. By the second year, uh, when this was supposed to be reported, they didn't have time to report it. So it was never really talked about. It. I mean, they didn't it. make time. And it was buried. It was buried. And what was really interesting is that it's not, usually you can find these reports easily. Her report, you have to dig for it. It's, it's, uh, it's very hard to find, but it's there. And um, the US government, this is a time when Hillary Clinton was Secretary of State and uh, she's the one that did the answer. And what's really interesting is that they sent it to, I think the Office of Civil Rights in Washington DC to answer. The Office of Civil Rights sent it to the 
Washington DC child protection who themselves are under federal investigation because so many kids are dying. So one of the people there uh, who's, who's deceased now, um, he was a lawyer who was the top lawyer for the Child Protective Service at the time. Uh, his name was Toscano, Mr. Toscano. He himself was caught, by the way, um, raping a boy in a stall in Virginia, and they actually gave him probation, and he still worked at Child Protection in D.C. Everything I'm saying is documented. Probation? I'm not even finished. I, I, I'm telling you really the truth. So they asked Mr. Toscano to answer the claim to the United Nations. He did answer. And then I think three or four months after he answered, he went into the court in Virginia and asked for his record to be expunged. The record showing that he actually raped a little boy in a public bathroom in a mall in Virginia. And they expunged his record and then he died of cancer. Disgusting so, pigs. Yeah, so, so you can see that somehow you have all these little tentacles in places that just don't seem real. Um, this is not anything I've ever known in my life. So, 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 so what you're saying based on every, every information, all the information you're giving us here is that even though your case was taken by the United Nations, powers that be swept your daughter's case under the rug, even all the report, the report is still there, um, but nobody did anything to protect your daughter. So it's like right now, a lot of people have given your case. No one answered the report. The report was never answered. I think what he did is he said, oh, there's a child custody case and we don't talk about that. Well, it's a lie. I've never asked for custody of my daughter because I thought it was a bizarre thing to do because my, my, uh, her father and I shared custody, period. He would always say that he had only custody, but this was never really true because he had illegal documents. You just so asked them to investigate the right. things that you already knew were happening and they refused to do that. Right, right, wow. exactly. So exactly. Dr. King, here's my question. And I think this is very important for people to understand you know, why we're making this particular report right now. What would you like to see happen in the next week to kind of bring you and your family some closure over this case that has been grossly mishandled on a national and international level? I think what I'd like to see happen is for her to get what she should have had many years ago, which is the freedom of choice. And um, right now, I mean, when I, I had contact with her for about a year and a half, and, um, you know, just small things, we do mother daughter talk about. Uh, relationships about school, about growing up, about family, you know, and also um, questions about, you know, who am I? How do I fit into all of this? And um, at that time, her father found out that we were talking, which is kind of silly. I'm her mother. That's my daughter. And uh, basically told her that if she continued to talk with me, he would put her in foster care and cut all ties with her. And so I think what I really want to say, and I don't let people understand, is that right now she's in a, she's been in for, since five years old, a one bedroom, 500 square foot apartment, where she has no place to sit down and eat. Uh, he says his bedroom is the living room, so she has no place to sit down and relax. She's not allowed to use the telephone, the computer. She doesn't have a key to the house. She's not allowed to have friends over. She's not allowed to go to friends. She's not allowed to go to summer camps or uh, extra programs. The only thing she was allowed to do was school when school was open. Now that school has been closed, she, she hasn't been allowed to do anything. And you're so not even sure. And you're not even sure if she's even where she was supposed to be because no, no one because has, seen, nobody her has seen her for over a year. Of 2020. 
Nobody has seen her since March of 2020. So we want to know, is she even alive? Let's just be honest. Yes. I mean, I, I'm a mother, so I... and I, I know, but I'm, I'm making that statement because I want to hold people accountable and responsible for doing the right, right thing and making sure your daughter's okay. No, that's a good point. I mean, I do get school records and I do get things saying that she's attended a school. They they don't require that they put their cameras on and they don't really even require that they... So see you don't know if she's going to class. You right. don't know if that's really her. No, I don't. I don't really know. I don't okay. really know. But I do know that she told me that she's afraid and she's afraid for her life. And I said, well, would you like to live with me? She said, yes, when I'm finished living with Papa. So for her, it's almost like a, I won't say a sentence, but it's something that she must do. She yes, must live it's, it's like a sentence. Yeah, she's terrified, clearly. She, she's, That's, she's, from she's my professional opinion, and, from and outside of opinion, my life. she's terrified. She's right, terrified for her life life. and yours. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. He's threatened both of our lives. And um, it's, it's possible that, that it's true. That's horrible. How horrible and heartbreaking that is. And it's absolutely deplorable to think that so many court systems, legal entities, drop the ball on this case. And unfortunately, your daughter has been the victim, not only in one case, but in multiple cases over and over again. So it's, I'm really tired of hearing people talk about human rights and talking about let's protect our children. But yet they're, they, and when little situations like this come up, when I say little, I don't mean little situations. I mean, specifically when it's one individual. If you can't do the right thing with one individual, how, how do we expect you to do the right thing with hundreds and thousands of children? Absolutely. How do you call yourself a, a voice and a beacon of light for children of the nation when you fail to protect even one child when you get a report? You know Absolutely. what I'm saying? It's, yeah, it's, it's, for it's, me, it was very poignant too because when, um, when Obama's were in the White House and they had a little girl, my little girl was literally growing up 10 minutes away and um, I reached out to the Obamas and the Obamas did have one of their uh, personal friends or a couple of them contact me and I had I had conversations with them I think one of them was working at the um, the uh, law school um, with Mrs. Obama and um, the other one said that she was friends with the Obamas because she used to collect PAC money for for uh, former President Obama and they contacted me and asked me many questions. And I thought that, oh my goodness, my daughter's finally going to get help. And, you know, at the time, you know what the help I asked for? I've never asked for a quote unquote custody. I've never gone to court and said, give me custody of my daughter. Because I was always looking at keeping her alive. I was always looking at uh, her getting medicine. She had a rare blood disease um, that's like a cancer that she wasn't getting medicine for. So her father was denying her medicine for this rare blood disease. And um, I was always trying to get an investigation of where did this mysterious blood disease come from? Because she wasn't born with it and you can only have it through HIV AIDS if you have HIV AIDS or if it's induced by toxins. So my focus was always keeping my daughter alive and concentrating on her health and her mental health, not taking my time and energy trying to fight with someone about who is biologically her father about quote unquote custody. I am her mother, he is her father. That, that's the way it is. Fighting about it is really silly. Well, I will say this. You know, your daughter is blessed to have someone who loves her and who has been fighting for her um, ever since she was a child. And I, and I appreciate the fact that you, you went through so many avenues. You, you took so many different paths to make sure that your daughter's story was told. And, I, and I, I, it's heartbreaking to think that so many people have dropped the ball on this case. Um, I am definitely 
curious as to see where this will go. Um, we definitely plan on making sure that this story is taken to um, legal and international authorities as it needs to be as soon as we release this show. We hope that this will hopefully bring some kind of understanding as to where your daughter is now, making sure that she is safe. We know that she's going to be 18 soon and that that reuniting with you happens as it should have happened a long time ago. Once again, I'd like to also take this opportunity to, to say this about the German courts. You have failed in this particular case and you should be ashamed of yourself and you need to make this right. I also want to say this about the United Nations. You have dropped the ball on this particular case as well, and you need to also do the right thing. We would like Dr. Ariel King to extend a warm, warm invitation to you that you are always welcome on the show. Um, please keep us abreast as to what, how this situation transpires. You have our undivided and 100% support in everything that you do. Please know that. Thank you for, for myself and for Ariel Lani and for my late mother, Dr. Margot King. We are so grateful and appreciate for this. And I also want everyone to know that um, it's not just about my daughter. As a result of my daughter and her courage and everything that she's done, I fight and I work for other children also. So um, absolutely, we are grateful for any support you can give us. And, and just know we don't just take, uh, we also give. So we're also here for your children to help them to support, develop, and to help them with leadership. Absolutely. Dr. Dr. King, thank you so much for being on today's show. You guys, you have been listening to Court Magazine Podcast, or maybe you have caught this show at Lee Law and Justice Podcast. If you have any questions about this particular episode, you would like to reach out to Dr. Ariel King and need any information pertaining to this particular case, as well as how you can support it, please do not hesitate to reach out. You guys can check me on my social media at Mr. Joseph Bonner. We are more than happy to answer questions that we feel need to be answered and addressed as they are relayed in real time. That being said, Dr. King, um, once again, thank you for being on today's show and take care of yourself. Thank you, sir. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.